title. A bruise on your heel is much better than a kick in the head. Now let's just go to First Timothy chapter 6. I, want, I was going to get you all to look at your feet tonight and it would have been easy if it was stinking hot, but it isn't. So unless you take your shoes and socks off, and I'm happy for you to do that, you know, this is a very liberal camp, please go quite, you know, go ahead. And so now that we do know who's not responsible for bringing the cold weather, and that was Sam, we will be holding a Spanish Inquisition later to see who's responsible, because then that really messes up my talk. But in the days of Jesus, you probably know from reading the scriptures that it was customary for, if a, for a stranger to be welcomed into your home. Um, it was the way that you gathered news from a far-off place. You found out what was going on in different places. Maybe it was someone that you were familiar with or just a complete stranger. And part of the custom was that you would open your home to these people and you, as a sign of hospitality and respect, you would wash their feet. Uh, no, we're not going to get random people from here to come up here and wash somebody else's feet, so please relax, it's okay. We're not going to do that. Uh, I have organised that in the past when we've done um, a reenactment of the Last Supper and it's quite a moving time if you do it properly and the, the, the sensation of having your feet washed by someone else is quite remarkable um, and you feel, both of you feel a bit embarrassed and a bit weird but then after a while if you get into it, you, it feels wonderful because you feel, it's like when, you know, the hairdressers do your hair and they wash it and you've got it leaning back and they've got hot water running through your hair and they're running their fingers through your hair and you're falling asleep. It's like that, all right? But it's on your feet, okay? So your feet were washed either by a servant or possibly by the host. And usually, um, it was usually done by the lady of the house. So the dust and the dirt of the journey, because most people wore sandals, were washed away and it feels really good. In First Timothy chapter 6, first chapter 5, my apologies, I always make that mistake. First Timothy chapter 5, just a little scripture here, well reported of, so this is talking about a widow, verse 10. 1 Timothy 5.10, well reported of for good works, if she's brought up children, if she's lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. So one of the qualities of a widow or a, a good lady in the Lord was that she had this habit of looking after people, um, washing their feet. Just looking at a couple of very quick scriptures before we get to what I really want to talk about. If we go to 1 Samuel 25, Great story. This is where um, a guy that was a bit of a twit decided, his name was Nabal, he decided to um, take on David and his uh, fighting men and um, his wife, who was a good wife, came to his, to his rescue. Nabal was about to be slaughtered by David because of his attitude, but his wife turns up and she was a, a wonderful woman. Eventually, David married her. And verse 40 of First Samuel chapter 25, it says, And when the servants of David were come to Abigail to Carmel, by this time Nabal had died of natural causes, 
they spake unto her, saying, David sent us unto thee to take thee to him to wife. And she arose and bowed herself on the face of the earth and said, Behold, let thine handmaid be a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. So he, this is a strange way of her accepting almost his proposal in marriage. So that's about feet and it's about washing feet and how it feels when someone washes your feet. We're going to park that thought and we're going to go to another line of thought and we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3. So I've been speaking, been having some fellowship with our brethren from Launceston and I said during my talk I'm going to make stuff up. So rather than get them guessing, I'm going to tell you now that I'm going to make stuff up and this is the part where I make stuff up, all right? So you don't have to guess. Um, this is the fall of man, as is recorded in the scriptures. Um, I know the story quite well. And the Lord is now addressing um, the serpent. And verse 15 in particular, and if you listen to the title, you knew that we were going here anyway. And I will put enmity or separation between thee, the serpent, the devil, evil, badness, not good, between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. Um, it, the seed of the woman, shall bruise thy head, and that shall bruise his heel. So there's going to be an exchange. And so if we turn to Luke 23... We go to the crucifixion. And so that's a very, very early prophecy regarding what we're about to read. Um, and this is the culmination of that. Luke chapter 23. And Jesus has been tried. He's been led away for crucifixion. And here we pick it up in verse 32. And so and there were also two other malefactors bad guys, led with him to be put to death. Verse 33. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, they were crucified. There they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And Jesus goes on to say, forgive them, they know what they do. So this is where we might imagine that the serpent now in the form of the devil or Satan, is celebrating. He's on the side saying, yes, I've got him. All right? He came to preach a gospel of salvation. I tempted him. I threw everything I could at him at his weakest point when he, back, when he began. For 40 days and 40 nights he prayed and he fasted and he had no water and he was in the wilderness and I tempted him. The three things that I normally get these guys with, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. I got the girl in the garden and I tried it with him, but he kept rebutting me with the word of God. And for three and a half years, he's been undoing all of my good work on the earth and he's been bringing hope. And as he's walked around, he's healed, he's set free, he's given words of encouragement and inspiration. He's given people hope. He's given them relief from the religious system that has been replacing the truth 
of the law of Moses. And now I've got him. And those feet that would walk the face of the earth, bringing the good news to people, are nailed. You can't use them anymore. And those hands that healed and set free and anointed, can't use them anymore. Got him. I've got him. Hope and salvation, which sparked on this earth for three and a half short years, been put to death. So he bruised his heel. In Acts chapter 2, this is some 50 days later, an amazing thing has happened. People have received the Holy Spirit. They were baptized before by John the Baptist and others under the instruction of Christ and also John. And now they waited for the promise of the Holy Ghost, which they did. They received the Holy Ghost, 120 faithful people on that amazing day. And now all of a sudden Peter renewed strength, a different Peter, empowered Peter. He gets up and he starts to talk about what has just happened some 50 days ago. And verse 30, so he's going through the story of what's happened. And verse 30, therefore being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins according to the flesh he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, he seeing this before spoke of the resurrection of Christ. So he's talking about David speaking of the resurrection of Christ in the future. That his soul, verse 31, the middle of verse 31, I'll say it again, he seeing this before spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell or the grave, neither his flesh see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. And so we now go back to my little imaginary scene where the devil is on the side, having a laugh, he's still there gloating because the Son of God has been buried in a sepulchre and the stone has been rolled in front of it. His act of, of um, destruction for the hope of mankind is taking place. But then three days later, something happens and miraculously out of that grave, the Son of God disappears, resurrects. And as a symbolic act of defiance, as the devil is looking at this grave which was supposed to hold Christ, Christ comes rushing out of the grave. I'm making this up. Christ comes rushing out of the grave and as he ascends on high, he kicks him in the head. Right? Because he's got to fulfill the scripture. The devil bruised his heel but Jesus has got to crush his head. So I imagine that this is what happened. You can't refute that because you weren't there, neither was I. Right? So you can make up your own scenario of how he kicked him in the head. But in the, what really happened was that Jesus rose from the dead. And as, devil, as the devil was still dancing on his grave, symbolically, Jesus bursts out in resurrection power and kicks him in the head. All the people said, Amen. Now you agree and you're complicit. Back to the feet. All right, we're going back to the feet now, John 13. I'd like to take a just slightly different slant on this. We normally look at this passage of Scripture and we talk about a servant, being a servant and being humble. That's how we address this and we 
And Jesus is demonstrating that even though he is the king, king of kings, that he is the Lord, he humbles himself to serve his brethren. I'd just like to take a slightly different slant, if I may. I'm going to do it anyway. Verse 4. He rises from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter and said unto and Peter said unto him, Lord, does thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do now thou knowest not. What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know thereafter. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. I'm not. He's basically saying, I'm not worthy. Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He that wash is washed needs not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. You are clean, but not all. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, You are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. So first of all, it's a demonstration of humility and service. But the slant that I'd like to take is that in the same way that a, 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 a visitor has come to your home and you wash their feet, you're welcoming them, welcoming, welcoming them into a haven, a safe place, a comfortable place, a place of refuge. And you're saying, forget the things of your trials of life, You're here now, you're here with me, take your comfort, I'm going to wash your feet, I'm going to make you feel good, and I'm going to wash away the world which sticks to you as as it is. Um, What he's doing is he's preparing them for the work that's going to come in a few days' time. He's saying to them, I want you to get rid of the soil or the dirt of this world. Anything that clings to you on your feet, you've been walking in this world, I'm going to clean it from you because in 50 days' time, you're going to have completely different shoes. I'm going to give you a new set of sandals and I can't put them on dirty feet. They need to be cleansed because these sandals are going to be Holy sandals. You didn't think we were going to talk about holy sandals tonight, did you? But they are. They're going to be holy sandals and you need to put them on feet that are holy. When Moses was called, what did he have to do? He had to take off his shoes because he's standing in holy ground. There was a calling for Moses. He was about to have his whole life turned upside down. He was going to be sent back to the people that were captive and set them free. But when he stood before the Lord... He had to take off his shoes because he was in the presence of God. He's going to give you new shoes, new sandals, fit for a different purpose and for a different role in 50 days' time. Ephesians chapter 6. These are your new sandals. Verse 15. Your feet 
shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So you're no longer going to be able to walk this world with your own purpose. You now have been called to walk this world with God's purpose. You have now taken the place of the Saviour, of the Anointed, of the Christ, and it is your feet that is going to carry this message to the world. His feet are nailed to a cross. His hands are nailed to a cross. But the great act of the death and resurrection of Christ is that now we have feet and hands multiplied. Every single time someone receives the Holy Spirit, there's a new set of hands and feet. There's a brand new set of hands and feet. There's a brand brand new set of hands and feet. Every single time someone receives the Holy Spirit, 120 brand new sets of hands and feet, 3,000 sets of brand new hands and feet. Every single time someone gets baptised and receives the Holy Spirit, every single time they get cleansed. In Matthew chapter 10 from verse 11 to 14, when you go out into the world, spread the gospel. And put a bit, let's go there because I'll get it wrong. I'm getting too excited. I've got to get to the punchline. I love the punchline. It's a great punchline. Wait till you hear the punchline. Matthew chapter 10, verse 11. He's sending out the 12 and he says, And into whatever city or town you shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and you shall, and there, and, sh- and there abide till you go hence. And when you go into a house, salute it. Do you do that when you witness? Do you go to the house and go, hello house? Because if you don't, it's unscriptural. All right? So from now on, when you're witnessing and you're door knocking, hello house, all right? It's, it's right here. You didn't know that. You picked up something today. Anyway, no, you don't. It's all right. It's silly. And if you go into a house, uh, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it not be worthy, let your peace return to you. Whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart of that house or city, shake the dust off your feet. Let it go. They're not worthy to hear the gospel of salvation. So let it be. Shake off the doubt. Shake off the unbelief. Shake off the, the, um, doubt and unbelief. I can't think of another word. If you can think of another word, please send it to me. Luke chapter 24. So how? in these cold and miserable nights that we share together at Christmas camp in the middle of summer, how do we wash each other's feet? We've talked about the miracle of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and how he's empowered us to spread a gospel. We've talked about the fact that our feet need to be clean so that we can put on the new sandals, which is the preparation of the gospel of peace. But how do we wash each other's feet? How are we now without actually going to do it, and it's really nice to do, but how do we do it to one another so that we can do this wonderful act? So in verse in, in verse 13, this is after the death and resurrection of Christ, just a couple of hours, and behold, two of them, two of the disciples, went that same day to, to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. They talked together of all these things which has just happened, how Jesus had kicked the devil in the head, Maybe they didn't know that. And it came to pass that while they communed together in reason, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk 
and are sad. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture. It's amazing, and the end is amazing. And that one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered, said unto him, Are thou a stranger in Jerusalem? Hast thou known the things that have come to pass in these days? He said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which would have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. They had no clue. They'd been with him for three and a half years. They hadn't a clue. They didn't know what was going on. He'd ministered to them. He told them about what was going to happen. He told them time and time again. He told them to wait in Jerusalem. He told them that power was going to come. He told them that the comforter was going to teach them. He told them about his resurrection. He told them that they were going to spread the gospel of peace. And they didn't get it. They still needed the Holy Ghost. And then... uh, Verse 22. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished which were early at the sepulchre, when they found not his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels and said that he was alive. So he confirmed what he said he was going to do and they still didn't believe it. They they were still incredulous. And certain of them which were with him, with which were with us, went to the sepulchre and found it even so as the woman had said, but him they saw not. Verse 25. Then he said unto them, O fools! and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have said. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What do you think we do for the time that we're here? What do we do? We begin, we might not begin at Moses, we might begin at Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. But every single time that you come here into this auditorium, you're going to talk to one another about the things of God. You're going to hear testimonies of the things that God has done in your in the lives of the person that's testifying. You're going to hear songs which are praising God. You're going to hear a talk, even dodgy talks like this one, about the power of God in our lives. You're going to then leave this place and go and continue to talk about the things of God. And you're going to do that continuously for the next two, three, four, five, six days. Maybe you'll be here for two weeks. I don't know. But beginning at Moses and all the prophets, you are going to expound one to another all of the scriptures and the things concerning Christ. Amen? That's what we're doing. And guess what that is? It's feet washing. That's what it is. You're comforting me. You're encouraging me. You're cleansing me. You're getting me ready for what I need to do. I've got to put on those shoes. And when I leave this place, I've got to walk the face of the earth and do the work of Christ. That's why we're here, because we're washing each other's feet. 28, and when they drew up into the village, whether they went, and he, and he made as though he would have gone further, They constrained him, saying, Abide with us. For it is towards evening and the days far spent, and he went in to tarry with them. It came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and he blessed it 
and he broke it and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. Doesn't the same thing happen to you? Don't you have moments where someone says something? It could be here, it could be now, it could be... Even Greg might say something that will inspire you. Who knows? You go home, you not go home, you go to your van and as you go, you'll talk to someone. Or in the morning, you'll exchange some word that allows you to be astonished, allows you to be moved, allows you to know the Christ even deeper and fuller than you know him now. Yeah? And then it says here in verse 32, they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scripture? Don't you feel that? I do. I come here and I'm battle weary. You are too, yeah? Amen? We're battle weary. And somehow in our mind we, we say, I'm going to this safe place. It's called camp. Sometimes we make excuse why we don't come here in time or blah, 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 blah. But when we get here, we're, we're so very, very happy that we are here. And we are battle weary. And someone welcomes us in and says, take your rest. Let me take your shoes off you. Let me wash your feet. Because they're going to minister to you and they're going to prepare you. And as you sit in your chair, you might sit here for two days, three days, four days, a week, two weeks. Someone is continually rubbing and cleansing and making you feel wonderful because they're cleaning and washing your feet. Does not your heart burn within you when you hear the word of God, when you hear a testimony, when you're encouraged? As we fellowship and we gather together, as we expound the scriptures, as we serve one another in Christ, as we wash each other's feet, as we prepare to go into the world and kick Satan in the head. That's our job. Does not your heart burn within you to be at the hands and feet of Christ? Does not your heart burn within you to be able to carry the gospel message to the whomsoever and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord? Isn't that a great and wonderful privilege? And while we're here, yes, take your rest. Let someone wash your feet. But let's put on Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For as I say, Lord, who has believed our report? So then with faith cometh, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Verse 18. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily. Their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world. They are calling. We need to be walking. Amen. 